0: Hey, this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Today, we're tackling a subject that is super close to my heart. As someone who operates in the personal and professional development space, I so often see career advice for women cross the line into policing women's speech. Which there's a fine line there, right? Because I think we're going to unpack some of the realities today about research that does show that when women modulate their approach or conform to a more ma- traditionally masculine, I should say, form of leadership, that there are professional benefits to doing so in some cases. Right. Which is why this is complicated. But the way we present that information, especially as career development folks, is really important, in my opinion. Um because so often women are told don't do this don't do that as though it's our fault
1: and i think i i agree with you and i think that i come from this as someone who used to try to make a living by going on tv like i right. for a long time i was going on tv shows to talk about politics and activism and as a woman on tv people have a lot of things to say about a lot of opinions you know really everything the way i look my hair once my bra strap was showing and someone was really had a lot to say about that, but specifically around voice and you know how your how your speaking.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and what's fascinating is because there's so much research behind this and information around it, a lot of people feel like it's their job to give women lots of feedback on their vocal tone or if they have vocal fry. I'm actually just coming off of like a four-day speaking crazy tour, and I've been doing so much speaking that my voice is sometimes lost right now. Is, would you say it's a little fried? I'd say it's fried, yeah. <laughs> so this is a meta episode. Do not write in and tell me you don't like the sound of my voice today, okay? Or really any day. We,
1: we don't care. We, want, we, we, we don't, don't care. want to hear it.
0: Listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth instead. And that was something I realized as a student. Sometimes the way I was speaking, I could almost see my professor's glazing over because they were paying closer attention to how I was speaking as a young college student who might have sounded a little more, you know, collegey um instead of listening to the words that I was saying. Right. And
1: I almost part of me wonders, I mean, that's certainly something that I've experienced and part of me wonders if it's also like a trouble that people have around like youth where it's like your voice sounds like someone young
0: and it's like when you were in college you were young and Well, also maybe before life has Chipped away at your your <laughs> your like unbridled youth. Your voice and was you're, still full of hope yeah, and dreams. still you hadn't been told that you sound like a teeny bopper twenty thousand times yet, so you hadn't internalized all that awful feedback, right? Yeah, I don't think getting more jaded is is like a good thing, right? Necessarily. It's not something we should be applauding or
1: necessarily attaching right. like positive connotations to,
0: right? So let's let's unpack this a little bit by going over, and I'm sure. Listeners, these will sound relatively familiar to you. Let's go over some of the most commonly delivered advice for women, specifically around how to adjust your speech in a professional setting, and just break down the BS behind some of this advice. Let's okay? do it. Can we do that? Let's do it. So first, I want to talk about sorry. Sorry. I'm so sorry, but, you know, I think that there is a very bad connotation when it comes to how women use the word Sorry. There's this perception, which is backed by research, that women say the word sorry more than men. First of all, that is true. But second of all, that does not mean that that is a bad thing per se.
1: Right. Something that I found really interesting in the research around gender and apologizing is that it is true that women say sorry more, but maybe it's not because of the reasons that you might think. And so actually, men... Genuinely feel like they have less to apologize for. Therefore, they feel like they're apologizing like an appropriate amount. Women perceive things differently. And so they perceive that they have more to genuinely apologize for. So really, it's like the point is that it's not that women say sorry too much. It's that men don't feel sorry enough. enough.
0: Right. Which is a, if you think about it, it's a totally different framework that is brought to the same exact conversation, the same exact data. And this is just goes to show how important public narrative and the, the story frame that we bring to this career advice for women really, really matters. We can either tell ourselves a story that says traditional leadership has looked domineering, has looked hyper masculine, has looked unapologetic right. for so many years that apologizing doesn't fit that, you know, very strict definition of what it looks like to be a leader. And therefore women should change. Or we can say, Hey, why are men so bad at apologizing? Why has leadership traditionally been this way? Maybe there's a better way. And at Elle magazine, an article that really reignited this conversation in my, in my mind, in my heart and mind from Sadie Doyle, uh, back in April, April 13 of this year is titled, women don't need to apologize less. Men need to learn how to apologize.
1: And I think it's so funny because you always hear about the non-apology, like "oh, I'm sorry you were offended," or you know, I like the non-apology. The non-apology, or they're like, "sorry, not sorry." Like, right. I feel like I see that well, from you know, Sean Spicer, yeah, maybe, in the a, White House. He, I he, mean, spi- what spicy as I sometimes call him, spicy. Spice. He is the master of the like non-apology, right? Apology.
0: Yeah, so he was. He came under fire for comparing Assad. To Hitler he said that as Hitler, a way to say he wasn't so bad after all. Yeah,
1: I think his, his line was like, oh, Hitler never, he, he wasn't so Hitler low wasn't as so to bad. gas yeah. his own people. Oh, wait, what that's exactly a, what? what he did.
0: Yeah, I mean, regardless, let's not make comparisons to make light of the, of the Holocaust. Yeah, that's I think a, that's pretty worthy of an apology, don't you think? A real apology, legitimate. An actual, I'm sorry I said that. And what happened was the White House sent out a clarification. Uh, without saying sorry, he basically said, "In no way was I trying to lessen the horrendous nature of the Holocaust. I was trying to draw a contrast." So he said, "It's not. It's not me. It's you. Let me help you understand." I, oh, sorry, y'all took what I said wrong. Except but he didn't say sorry. Yeah, yeah. So he it, didn't even it's even clarification. It. It's not an apology. And then just days later, United Airlines drags a passenger by force oh, off of man. a plane. He's bleeding on his way out the door. Everyone's freaking out on this plane, rightly so. Did they say sorry? And the CEO does not. Well, here's the thing. So he says, he did come out saying this is an upsetting event to all of us here at United. I apologize for having to reaccommodate these customers. Can we
1: first, let's just pause there. (laughs) He has a really kind of like wacky understanding of what reaccommodating. Like I feel like if I'm being dragged... I'm not being, re- I wouldn't use the word
0: reaccommodate. I know. One of my family members, I think, posted something on Facebook that said United Airlines will reaccommodate the <laughs> hell out of you. And it's like, a, it's like total ministry of doublespeak 1984 <laughs> nightmare messaging. So, all of this to go back to sorry is to call into question this kind of advice when levied against women and saying, oh, women conform to this strict standard. And then beyond that, if we actually unpack the data on sorry and women's use of the word, there's a lot of kind of wonkiness and 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 less than perfect research right. in terms of their methodologies. That actually a past episode really unpacked women and sorry that Kristen and Caroline worked through in great detail, calling into question the research methodologies in those studies, which is troubling. But beyond that, what researchers are finding over and over again is that women use the word sorry. Not just to apologize, but to empathize. Totally, and empathy is a great leadership quality. And it's
1: not something that we should be, you know, lecturing really anybody out of using. I think that that's my overall issue with a lot of this. Yeah. Sort of well-meaning, benevolent, if yeah, you will, we did an, an episode totally all around this. Yeah. Um, but I, but the issue that I have with a lot of that is that it comes from a place where I think it's this idea that men in professional situations have adopted all of these maybe not so good qualities and that and that women should adopt those same qualities. Right, without question. Exactly, because this is what men do. And I I always push back against this notion that advice to women to be more like men to get ahead in the workplace is necessarily good advice to be
0: Right. And this actually happened to me on one of my first campaigns that I was ever working on, one of the senior male consultants who actually turned out to be a bit of a creep, to be quite honest, and was... Uh, and like a really gross sexist person to, in many ways. But one of the kind pieces of advice he gave me early on in these few weeks that I spent on this campaign was never say sorry, Emily. You're admitting to faults that you don't need to admit to. And I was like, "Thanks, great advice, dude." And then it's like, "Your leadership style is not my style," uh, you know, like.
1: Yeah, and of course, noted creep thinks that yeah. you want that you need, slash want his advice. Yeah,
0: it was bad. It was so the good. beginning of a lot of grossness from him, but um. Yeah. I think here's the thing. I am in the professional development space. I just came off of a Boston Bootcamp weekend when I was talking to women about how to be more assertive communicators. So the hypocrisy here is real. And I just want to check that by saying what I have learned over the years as someone who goes over the research and instructs women who are looking to advance right. how to do so and are looking to negotiate how to do so is to start those conversations off by saying, "Listen." There is nothing wrong with how you speak right now.
1: Right. You don't have to adapt or internalize, I'm doing all these things wrong because then you're just going to be thinking about it all the time. It's not that
0: binary. It's not right and wrong. What it is, is if you want to manipulate others' perceptions of you or if you want to conform to a perception or to a style that is more likely to yield positive outcomes for your negotiation, job interview, presentation, or what have you, here are the tools I want all women to have in their toolbox. Right. Here's the card I want you to be able to play. And you cannot make that conscious choice unless you're aware of your own unconscious speech habits and your and your own way of speaking and how it's perceived by others. And then take that control, take that power, make that choice for yourself to adjust accordingly. Which is very different than how a lot of advice comes out sounding, I think.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I I love how you put that sort of having a tool in your toolbox. It's like, you don't necessarily need, like, every tool does not fit every right. work, every, uh, built like, carpenter. Like, well, when you're, it's a bad when, analogy. Right. But when you get what you, I'm well, saying.
0: When you're in trouble and in the principal's office, that's not the time to be sounding like the most assertive I person. I don't say
1: sorry. Right. Yeah. Like, and I think right. the, the advice is so, what what kind of complicates everything differently is things like age, race. Like, right. I, as a black woman, Oftentimes, you know, I think that black women in professional settings are are taught and trained to be very aware of, like, the optics of how they present themselves, the optics of how they carry themselves. And I think that if you were to tell a black woman, like, be very assertive, like, don't say right. sorry, you know, make sure that you are coming off as confident and as sure of yourself and blah, blah, blah. That advice could actually backfire, not, it could backfire in a really spectacular way. And I think that we offer particularly women this like one size fits all kind of advice right. around yeah. how they need to be living their lives and it just doesn't always work and so thinking about it as a toolkit where it's like right yeah if you need to you know if you were if, you, if, if there was a situation where saying sorry was going to be helpful or signify that you were empathizing with someone's situation right. you know
0: I'm so sorry to hear that you're going through that exactly how can we figure it out together like exactly. that is not an apology and White women don't have, right? We have the privilege of not having to contend with the angry black woman trope that black female professionals walk into every day.
1: It's everywhere. And so, you know, I think that it's always important to remember that these things are sort of can be sort of a minefield. And, you know, just saying like, don't say sorry is not going to
0: be enough to cut it. Exactly. And the advice certainly doesn't stop at sorry either. There are so many other words that women have taught to be like, Oh, you're not a good professional badass woman. You're not a boss lady if you say sorry. Or my latest and greatest one that I keep coming across is just. Just. I just want to ask you a quick question, or I just want to interrupt here to talk this through. Nowadays, an app made a lot of press, right? A Gmail or Google Chrome app that helped identify when you were typing the word just in an email and how to eradicate it. The underlying assumption being when women say just, they're unconsciously qualifying their asks or their statements or whatever it is that they're giving as their professional opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, in doing research for this episode, we didn't find any empirical evidence around the word just. And why are we making, you know, hard and fast rules and apps and, you know, telling people to take this word out of their emails? If if women, especially, why are we telling women this? if this advice is, like, based on really nothing. It just seems like something that's kind of truthy, like, oh, it must mean when people see Justin in an email that they automatically assume, like, oh, she doesn't value her contributions.
0: Yeah, and and once again, it's on women to contort. It's on women to accommodate other people's perceptions of them. Instead of actually being heard for what we have to say, people are focused on the style with which we're saying it.
1: And I, I hate that so much because... Again, why aren't we, instead of creating apps, and I don't want to knock the people who made this app, but instead of making apps that take just out of our emails, why don't we figure out ways of making people who read those emails not come up with all kinds of assumptions about what we're we're saying based on using one word?
0: Well, it's funny, and this is straight out of a Cosmopolitan article called Stop Telling Women to Apologize for Apologizing, which is meta in so many ways, but also applies to this just situation. She says... Telling women to treat certain words like they're typos isn't a way of empowering women. It's a way of telling them to fix a problem that actually belongs to listeners who view women as weaker and less confident.
1: I think that's uh, a lot of the way that I feel about this is really rooted in that idea that like, I don't actually think we should be telling women any of this, right? Like I I think that we should just let women figure this out. Like I think if you're a woman who has figured out that you know, saying just or not saying just, saying sorry or not saying sorry, has worked or not worked for you. Right. I think that we should stop, you know, over lecturing and over moralizing about women and their speech and sort of how it's impacting them in their in their professional right spaces.
0: Because there's just no evidence. There's just sorry. Us. There's just no evidence. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we are worked up about this topic, obviously. And there is so much more where this came from, but let's let's take a quick breather, B, and let's, let's calm down, calm down, and we'll be right back after this. All right, we're back. Are you ready for this, B? Let's do it. Here at the end of the day, I think it comes down to making the unconscious conscious, because. Having unconscious, unintentional vocal tics, which we all do. We all have our buzzwords. We all have our vocal habits of choice that maybe often manifest when we're feeling nervous or when we're feeling under the gun, like an interview or recording a podcast. I was just going to say, se. if you ever
1: want to become very, very clear about your verbal tics, start a podcast. Yeah.
0: That's a great way to do it and, and open your email after starting said podcast. Right. But if we, Make those unconscious ticks and habits conscious. If we ask someone for feedback who actually has our best intentions at heart, if we maybe record and review our own speaking in advance of a phone interview or a, you know, a job interview or a big presentation that we want to really sound the way we want to sound, that consciousness raising really helps you identify the adaptations you want to make, instead right. of listening to all this advice pour in from the peanut gallery. From
1: people who have never, maybe never heard you speak, don't know your situation, right. and maybe, maybe their idea that doesn't actually fit your situation.
0: The speech police. The speech police. It's the speech police. It is. Um, you
1: mentioned, we, we were talking earlier about starting a podcast and how it impacts the way that you think about your speech, and I just had to shout out uh the producers of the podcast, 99% Invisible. They basically got so many people writing in about their female host's voice. They set up an autoresponder. So if you emailed them and they, their filtered things like, Oh, you're sending an email complaining about the female, you know, podcast host's voice. You get, hello, you've written in to voice your dislike of our female reporters voices. You're not alone. We have set up a filter that automatically sends these emails into a folder labeled zero priority. I love that. We'll review this folder and consider the complaints within, well, never. Amazingly, <laughs> We don't even have a folder for complaints about male voices on our show because we've never gotten one. Isn't that strange? We think so. Anyway, hope you can continue to enjoy our free podcast somehow. <laughs> and if you can't, there are plenty of shows that don't feature any women's voices at all.
0: I love it. It's the amazing. The the shade Shout in that his, is so brilliant. It's great. And really, let's talk about women's vocal sounds, too, because that's what's become such a big thing on radio and podcast hosts, especially. That email is so valid. Maybe we should come up with one of our own. BT BT Dubs, yes. right? I almost said BTS there. <laughs> I got to get my acronyms together. Um, but it was This American Life that had a great episode that really unpacked all the ways in which women on the radio Generate complaints from listeners who have problems with things like vocal fry. What is
1: vocal fry? Emily? Which is that
0: low creaky vibration that produces a fluttering in the vocal cords that you might know from the Kardashians.
1: I read an article that said that Britney Spears <laughs> was an early adopter of vocal fry She's by saying, totally the Oh, pioneer. babe, baby. Right. Like, oh, that's
0: She's got fry. that like super creaky fry thing going that was Totally revolutionary. I've hey, never heard that, that before. She's a millionaire, so she's hey, doing something right. Um, some people say that young women who are known for creating or sort of pioneering vocal fry, or at least people pick up on women, young women's vocal fry more so than young men's, um, could be linguistic innovators. Mm. That's what Paige Sally on CBS Sunday Morning included in one of her segments on vocal fry. Maybe they're linguistic innovators, or maybe this is an unconscious habit. Either way people, writ large, are very annoyed by vocal fry, especially when exhibited by women. And when surveyed, the population that found vocal fry most grating and annoying actually was women above the age of, I think it was either 40 or 50.
1: Oh, that's so fast. That's not at all where I thought you were going with that. Yeah. Not at all it, where I thought.
0: I mean, so it's just like everybody judges young women is Even, the moral yeah, of the story. It's we like, can win. Exactly. And I
1: think what's interesting is that, one, you know, Men use vocal fry, too, but nobody Ira writes Glass. in articles. I mean, Glass, hello. Noam Chomsky. No right. one thinks that Noam Chomsky is stupid because he uses vocal fry, right. but he uses it all the time. And <laughs> exactly. I'm sure that no one is writing articles that are like, hey, Noam Chomsky and Ira Glass, why are you talking like that? You sound dumb. Like women, I, I genuinely believe that this comes from a place of of discomfort around Women, particularly young women, in the public eye, so having someone, a voice. Yeah, having a it's voice. Like at any all. voice
0: is too something. And the the New York Magazine in the Cut put it brilliantly with an article about female voice anxiety, which is really a better way to diagnose this problem. By yeah. the way, it's the audience's ish. It's not the the it, artists or the the vocalists ish. But it, she says here, for every wrong voiced woman, the nominal problem is excess. The voice is too something, too loud, too nasal, breathy honking, squeaky, matronly whispered. It reveals too much of some identity. It overflows its bounds. The excess, it in turn points to what's lacking. Softness, power, humor, intellect, sexiness, seriousness, coolness, warmth. The fact that these adjectives come in relatively inverse pairs isn't a coincidence. We have some measure of control over the way we sound, but for women and minorities, The margin of error can be vanishingly thin. It's almost impossible to get it, quote, right.
1: So basically, we can't win, y'all. No matter what we do.
0: You're always going to be too much for somebody.
1: And I think that I, in that quote, I see so, I hear so much of my own experience. So something I hate to admit is that I was a smoker for a long time Mm -hmm. and people always, and I, I picked it up kind of late. Like most people that I knew were smoking kind of earlier and I didn't start until later. And the reason why I started smoking, which looking back is, so ridiculous is that I thought I had this mousy high pitched young woman you know, young voice. woman's voice and I badly wanted to have a voice like Kathleen Turner you Ooh. know a, a a sultry a little raspy a little raspy and yeah. so I thought like oh if I start smoking I'll have a raspier voice and come to find out you know there's all kinds of vocal exercise and stuff that you can do you don't have to Pick up a very unhealthy habit right. in order to change <laughs> the way fact. your voice is. Fun happens. fact. Yeah. yeah. There are There's other so ways. Many,
0: well, isn't it funny that it all goes back to being cooler? Yeah, like I just, Cigarettes and coolness. I just want it to be cool. Like we should so, do something like, about that. The
1: same reason I bought my first leather jacket. I was very but interested in You are really cool
0: now. Smoking. Plus, it doesn't hurt, like harm you. Although the vegan in me thinks it harms oh. somebody. But we can talk about we'll that. We'll talk about that. That's another yeah. episode. We should do something on that. Anyway. <laughs> So there's, um, I think the moral of the story here is you were trying to adapt your vocal sound already, perhaps unconsciously or consciously to combat the verbal pat on the head that young women professionals get. Totally. So many women in the office, and I remember this, you're giving your valuable insights and opinions that they're paying you for, and they think, oh, that's cute. You're so cute when you take over a meeting. It's almost like you think you have real power to say <laughs> here, and you want to overcompensate for that youth. I definitely found myself overcompensating for my youth.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, and again, it's just another way that women are taught to, that all of the issues, like, we just internalize them. And so totally. it's not society's duty. It's not your coworker's duty to respect you as an employee and respect right. your contributions. It's your, you've internalized it. It's your duty to somehow, right. like... Level these things that they're feeling, whether they're around your gender or your youth or your race.
0: And it's tricky because there's no perfect frame around that in the professional development space. Like, the whole underlying assumption behind professional development is, like, self-improvement. Like, you can adapt. right? But I think what's really important as a humongous asterisk, or one might even call it a qualifier, Uh that I think is a very good thing, is to say... Before we give you this advice for how to change yourself and how you present to others, remember that how you present and how you speak and how you sound and how you look is great and it's perfect in every way. What you're really doing, and it doesn't sound very nice, but it is about manipulating others' perceptions but, yeah, for the better. So much of that like, is, What is you your know, goal and who is your audience and how can you adapt to make the most of that? But don't feel like every time you say sorry you're just, you have to apologize for it.
1: And I think, I think that you really hit the nail on the head and that so much of life, so much of what we do and how we interact is about kind of subtly manipulating others <laughs> yeah. to get what we want. And it sounds Perception awful. Perception control. Yeah. That's a, a better way to put it. But um, not
0: really. Whatever. Yeah. But I, think, I don't feel any shame or guilt <laughs> around that too. It's like, of course, you're going to talk to different people differently. Really, the, the, the term for that comes out of, um, minority cultures around code switching. Oh, I was just going to bring that up. And so yeah. I think,
1: you know, I remember, You know, my, so my career started, my first real job was teaching at Howard University here in DC. Mm -hmm. Shout out Go Bison's. Yeah. Um, But like, when I taught there, I was around people of color, you know, 99.9%. And then when I left Howard, that was the first time that I had to be like, oh, well, you know, do I, like, I had never really had to think about that before, thinking about, you know, if I use a slang term or what are the white people that I work with going to be like, hmm, lit? What does that mean? Right. Yeah. Like, I had no sense of that. And I really, it was through kind of working and just sort of experiencing that, that I realized, you know, when to do it, when not, that like, if I did it in some situations, it would, it would, you know, people would yeah. react this way. If I did it in other situations, they would react that way and really sort of internally calibrating mm-hmm. based on that. And so I, it was such a personal, situation that I don't think an outside person could have come in and been like, here's the one size fits all around, you know, using black slang at work, right. or whatever, like it just would not have worked.
0: Mm. And I think that experience resonates with so many people who have multicultural, especially multilinguistic con- cultures yeah. that they exist in, right? So my mother, we would all be so embarrassed. My mom was born and raised in Bogota, Colombia and Barranquilla, Colombia, like South America. We go to Chili's in suburban Connecticut, where we're from, right? Where I was born and raised. And we're out with our giant six-person family. And my mom goes, okay, what are you all having? It comes to her, right? The, the waitress is waiting to take her order. My mom goes, I'll have two empanadas. <laughs> I won't have the chili con carne or whatever. Like she, she goes full on Spanish speaking as one would. Right. Because those are Spanish words. And like, and you don't need to put on your gringa accent for fakesies to make the gringa taking your order, feel more comfortable. Right. So, there's a part of me that has become much more comfortable of actually sounding like a Latina right. when I'm speaking Spanish, even though I present completely white with my platinum blonde hair. <laughs> and so, seeing my mom sort of model that behavior and then the resulting embarrassment of her teenage children. So, you got, y'all were, we got embarrassed, y'all were
1: embarrassed on her behalf. Like, mom, yeah, you're embarrassing mom,
0: us. yeah, yeah. That's interesting. But it's, it's her
1: culture. Right. And like, yeah, like her speaking in the, you know, right, in with the an with an accent of her own culture should not be embarrassing. But that we're so taught that we should be, you know, hyper focused on how mm-hmm. we're presenting in this way at all times is manipulate you know, we, yourself. Yeah, we, right? we've been yeah.
0: we've just been taught to do that. We've been taught to adapt for our audience's comfort. Always, and sometimes you might want to do that, like when you're asking for a raise. You want your boss to be super comfortable giving you a raise, but sometimes you're just at Chili's trying to get an empanada. And sometimes you're just living. <laughs> let 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 a live. Let a Latina live, okay? <laughs> but, but and so it becomes like the unsolicited career advice is what really grinds my gears. Okay, it's the unsolicited somehow people writ large. But I would, I mean, my experience, it's more often been a man. Same feel like it's not only okay, but it's a nice thing to do, to give unsolicited feedback on how you look or how you sound. And What is that about? It's
1: awful. And like I said, I mean, as someone who spent a very small time of my career trying to be someone on TV, it was all I heard. So I, I don't think I ever got any kind of unsolicited feedback about my looks, my hair, my voice, whatever, from a woman. It was always from dudes. And it was always, I mean, I mean, I just, it's when it, when it comes from, when I'm not asking for, you know, feedback, don't give it, right? Like that's my number one thing. Well, that's it's like, something
0: to think about for our audience, right? Like you might have heard some great podcast about how women can adapt their style to be more effective at work or elsewhere. Right. Remember, and this was hard for me as someone who's very vocal with my opinion. Remember to ask, say, can I give you some feedback right. on that? Just at least give them the opportunity to say, know yes. or hey I've got I was taking notes while you're up there speaking if you're interested I'd be happy to share with you a couple of things that I've been reading lately and I think might help
1: I think that's key right because you don't want to come off like someone that's just butting in because my number one thing is like who asked you right that's always what I'm thinking when I get unsolicited advice so you always want to make sure that you're getting consent before you start giving folks all kinds of feedback and we have more solutions like that about how we can navigate this tricky stuff after this break. So we were just getting pretty worked up about some of the annoying ways that people can police women's speech. But Emily, what are some things that we can do to deal with this?
0: Well, I think what you said before the break about just checking yourself is a really important first step. Before you give unsolicited and perhaps unwanted feedback, make sure you're asking someone, Hey, you know, I have some feedback on how to strengthen this part of your speech if you're interested. And second of all, for all of my fellow career development folks out there, and personal and professional development coaches, keep in mind that just because there's data showing that women, you know, should smile while negotiating because it yields better results or should have, you know, should stay away from vocal fry, which so many of us have unconsciously when making a presentation, just because the data is there doesn't mean it's right. Just because it's going to yield a better outcome for your career doesn't mean that's how you should speak all the dang time. Like the way you talk is fine. It's about you having the choice as an individual of being aware of how you're coming across to people, perhaps with some feedback from those you really value and care about and who have your best interests at heart. And then you get to make the choice when you want to adapt.
1: Exactly. And I just have to underscore, you know, there's nothing wrong with code switching. There's nothing wrong with you know, adapting your speech to fit a scenario, you know, it's really up to you. And I think keeping that in mind, you know, you don't have to be, you know, hyper, hyper concerned about what other people are saying is going to be best for you. It's good to have tools in your toolbox and what's going to help you get ahead. And other than that, just like, do you. Do you, boo.
0: always. And and you got to remember that we can't put style over substance. When people's style is grating to you, We as listeners need to do better at hearing the words that people are sharing and not being completely distracted by the style with which they're sharing it. I love that. Right? I love that. It can't be style over substance. It cannot be. That's that's dehumanizing.
1: Because think about people like one of my idols, Melissa Harris Perry. She has a list. She does. Right. right? And like she's brilliant, she's talented. And I think there was some article where she said, you know, people often ask, like, you know, why do you have a lisp? And, you know, why did you make a living? And And she's like, because I have important things to say, and I'm going to say them. It doesn't matter if, like, you can't get over the way my voice sounds. It doesn't change the fact that I have something important to say. Also,
0: think about how many hours of her life she could have spent either getting... Training to adjust the way she spoke, right, or studying and like sharing her brilliance with the world, and like focusing on what she wants to actually do, right? Like you, as an individual, get to make that choice, and nobody else does. So, and no one knows your life right, like you know your life, right? Right. And there's nothing that makes you less of who you are when you're adapting your style, either. So, on the flip side, if you do want to adapt your style, if you do want to ditch your, your the list that you were born with, if you do want to talk differently. With your friends at Howard University, Bridget, <laughs> than your friends in downtown DC's high-rise <laughs> office or MSNBC, that doesn't make you any less you. And I think a lot of times people get judged.
1: Totally, we we do, and I think it's just not fair. And we're all individuals, and right. you know. But again, we're we're learning and growing together, and we need to be treating people as these unique individuals that they are, and not making assumptions about their you know abilities based on things like they wrote just in an email or whatever. Right.
0: And so the other two tidbits of advice and takeaways that I hope we can all leave today's conversation with are making blanket statements like all women all women shouldn't say just or all women should stop apologizing is BS. Like, can we go ahead and say that not all women have vocal fry and not all men don't? Can we just stop with the constant generalizations around speech? Right. I think so too. And if you are, like, if you are just on a, tear if it is your life's mission to police people's speech maybe just police men as much as you please yeah women. like
1: right into ira glass right into ira or, glass and complain about I think his no, noise is for no, every, no i don't think he i don't think he's here out i don't
0: know tbd um <laughs> um <laughs> he definitely would appreciate knowing that we aren't aware of if he's alive oh or dead. sorry i he was a big Part of my college development. I, I should know this. Like, what is it? Don't think of an elephant in yeah, the history. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And from a linguistics perspective, I don't think he could be more important. Either way, good to know that his work outlives him if he's not <laughs> around anymore or it's bigger than his personal brand is because we're not sure if he is. Noam Chomsky's forever. It happens to the best of us. But then finally, I think it's upon career professionals, especially those, those like me who are writing. A column, right, for Forbes about how women can advance their lives and be more leader, be more leader-like and advance their leadership. It's incumbent upon all of us giving advice to career professionals to always be conditional, always be empathic around any advice that has to do with manipulating your personal style. There's nothing wrong with how you naturally talk. There's nothing wrong with how you present to the world. These are about making conscious choices. And here's the research behind it. And here's why this might be of service to you. Totally. And take it or leave it. That's the approach that I take. I love it. But I'll admit, like, I didn't start that way. I used to think this is the right way to do it. And this is the wrong way to do it when it's just not that binary. It's not that simple.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and few things are. Like, few things are that black and white or a few things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just, I think that it's a, always a good idea to be pushing back against, you know, one size fits all advice. I women. love I
0: love talking about BS career advice that women get, too. Oh, yes. I think there is a treasure trove of war stories there. And Stuff Mom Never Told You listeners, we want to hear what you got on this, right? Bridget and I shared a little bit about the ways in which we have felt like our speech has been policed in the past. And we had the choice. At the time, I took that advice and ran with it until I realized, hey, a couple years later, that guy was full of it. (laughs) And was a creep. And was a creep. Um, I hope he hears this. So (laughs) it's just like you have to remember when you're getting feedback, you have the choice to take it or leave it. And you get, you have the responsibility to yourself. You owe it to yourself to try to parse through the gender bias that all often is imbued in career advice that women get. So what advice have you received that you thought was total BS or what unsolicited feedback have you ever gotten about the way you sound or the way you speak? We want to hear from you. Because I hope that Bridget and I aren't alone in
1: this. Oh, I, I'm sure y'all have stories. I'm sure. Uh, we want to hear good, bad, and other yeah. good career advice. Or career advice that you knew was BS. Or career advice from people that like, you know, why is this person giving me advice?
0: Like, you know, you want to hear about it. Yeah. What gives you the right? And also, on the flip side, have you made an adjustment to the way that you sound? And has it changed your life? Have you gone from being a chronic person of who uses upspeak all the time at the end of her sentences? Maybe she's a you know, a West Coaster where that's much more prominent? And have you curbed that habit consciously? Have you changed your career around because of it? Has that yielded good results? I want to hear from you. I just, I just did it there. Although I guess I was asking a question. So I'm speaking of a question. Right. I guess so. No. Oh God. So I, I think it's kind of a funny thing to talk about in a way that doesn't feel so heavy. Oftentimes these conversations are like, Heavy. heavy, here's how you're wrong. And really, at the end of the day, it boils down to people being uncomfortable with women speaking at all. So make your voice heard. And get comfortable with it, society. Yeah, deal with it. Here I am. I'm going to Deal with it. <laughs> it's my voice. Yeah. So so we want to hear from you. Send us an email at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Shoot us a tweet at podcast, or share a snap, I guess, of your voice, I guess on Instagram. I don't know. Get creative there at Stuff Mom Never Told You on Instagram. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. We cannot wait to hear your stories soon.